Hello folks and welcome back to series three of the RLS podcast. I can't believe we've done 20 episodes. Um going to be doing a solo episode today um, and the title, as you can already see, is 10 fitness hacks that you can implement tomorrow. Now that sounds pretty dramatic and the word fitness hacks is actually such a, what would you say, like a nebulous term and you see it thrown around so much in the fitness industry and I chucked it in there just to just to see what the algorithm says and see how many people are actually going to now listen to this just because it has a fancy word in front of it. But no, I, was, I wasn't I was here to trick you. And these are hack and things like break, cheat, trick. These kind of words, essentially, they're kind of, they're kind of cheating you because they paint something um, very simple or something that probably doesn't actually work and calls it like a cheat or a hack or like you hear things like melting fat and burn fat and just like these these things that just sound a little bit too good to be true they usually are they usually are too good to be true and these 10 things that i'm actually about to discuss are actually very very simple however to implement them doesn't necessarily just mean you try them all tomorrow and you do all 10 of these things and it sticks like that again like any habit you need to be able to do it tomorrow the next day the next day the next day the next day two three four weeks before it actually sticks and what would I actually say right now is don't go and chuck all 10 of these into your life tomorrow. Try and implement them slowly. Implement one to three to start off with. Um, that's probably going to be enough to manage. If you try to implement all 10, it's going to overwhelm you. It's going to be too much, and you're probably going to come away having done zero of them. And again, as I said, it is just a hack. It's just a word to make people click. Hack. You can't hack fitness. You can't hack nutrition. There's nothing that you can just turn a button and everything's all fine. It takes time. Um, unless you're taking anabolic steroids, that is, that's that's quite a hack, um, which I can't imagine many of us are. But if you are, there's nothing against that, just to keep that clear. So the first one, number one, is getting consi- consistent, consistent, I'm not sure what accent that was, consistent wake and sleep times. So this kind of talks about in regard to our circadian rhythm. Now, People, a lot of people don't kind of understand, well, they, they've heard the term circadian rhythm, but it perhaps means something a little bit different to them. And you probably, you all have felt your circadian rhythm before. It's kind of when, you know, like when you've been out at the weekend, you've been out on a Friday, um, you've been out till like two o'clock in the morning, absolutely blazing steaming, come home and you wake up at 7am and you're like, how in the fucking world have I not slept a little bit later? Like, I've got the time for a line, but I've just not been able to. That's because you were probably getting up at 6 a.m. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday um, for your work. So your circadian rhythm is now, it's pretty smart. It will be able to now wake you up naturally at that 7, 7 a.m. time. You could, you might have even woke up at 6 a.m. because your body clock is so smart that it genuinely just, it works through the sun and the dark and the, the sunrise and the... How can I not remember what the name is when the when the sun goes down? That's a bit that's a bit strange. But yeah, essentially your your body is very good at naturally waking you up. Um, it's not really that weird. Like we think it's a bit weird, but it's really not that weird. So the average circadian rhythm kind of works a little bit like this. So let's kind of start at around about like two to five p.m. That's probably going to be a good place to start. So usually feel it around about 2 to 5 p.m. You get this little this little afternoon slump. Like this is when you tend to get, like say if you're at work sitting in the office, this is when you start to like crave snacks. 
you tend to just get this little dip in energy. You start sitting back in your seat and your eyes maybe start going if you've not had such a great sleep. The next kind of stage would then end up when your body is starting to get ready for sleep. Now it's getting darker outside. Your body naturally now sees that dark. It kind of switches on and it's like, right, okay, I'm probably around about the time I should be going to sleep now. So again, this could be anytime. It just depends on what time you go to sleep, but we're talking from anywhere from around about 7 p.m. to about 11 p.m. I know people will stay up beyond that, but this is kind of the, the average kind of time. So around this time, melatonin, the sleep hormone, rises. Um, it rises about an hour later in teens than adults, but it begins to rise and it begins to kind of switch you off. You're beginning to get ready to go to sleep. Um, one thing that you kind of need to be aware of around this time is like you want to make this process as natural as possible. So again, the big one is like staring at Twitter, Twitter's or Instagram, like white, bright light, blue light, shining your eyeballs. There's a reason that Facebook's blue, Twitter's blue. Um, again, Instagram and Instagram is perhaps not blue, but it's still bright regardless. These lights are right in your eyeballs, which is now reducing melatonin. Um, so again, this means that your body is a little, bit, a little bit confused. Your circadian rhythm is getting confused because it thinks you should still be up because this light is shining in your eyes, aka thinks it's the sun. Your body is operating on a natural clock. It doesn't, doesn't really decipher between the sun and your phone and scrolling twelve. So when you're obviously sleeping, you naturally fall into deep sleep. You Your energy is probably now conserving itself. It's going to be at its lowest around about, hard to say, around about 3 a.m. to about 7 a.m. Some people might not even feel fully awake until around about 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. Again, a lot of people are different. Some people are proper morning larks. Like they'll get up and they'll be bang, I'm ready to go. Some people will feel a little bit lethargic for the first two hours of the day. I won't be able to really get going until about like nine or 10. And again, this is a kind of discussion for the next bit. When we get to around about 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., that's when energy starts to climb a little bit higher. That's when your body temperature is actually at its highest. So for majority of people, your alertness and your sharpness is going to be pretty much optimal at this point. Um, so again, I know it's not a practical consideration for the majority of people, but training within this time can actually be really effective. This is when I train initially not out of choice by understanding circadian rhythm. I was just like, I actually feel the best between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. So I just I started training then. And when I kind of read this, I was a bit like, yeah, that probably makes sense because my energy is, is at its highest. I do feel best at this time to do things like runs or to do things like training in the gym. So yeah, I mean, as I said, like avoid blue light in your face later on. And then on the flip side of that, can you now get out in the morning and get sunlight right on your face? Like that is naturally going to wake you up. Again, it's going to feel so obvious, like the clocks are a way to change on Sunday. This podcast is probably getting recorded at a later date. Um, but the clocks are now a way to go forward. Therefore, when you wake up, it is going to be bright half five to 6 a.m., you're probably going to be seeing the sun come up, um, which is incredible for you being able to get up. And you'll be able to show, you'll be able to tell the difference between that and when a couple months back, not even a couple of months back, probably a month back, when you were getting up, it was pitch black and it took you an hour or so to get up. Like if you do work in an office, like how 
you probably found yourself waking up around about half an hour to an hour into your shift um, in the office, opposed to being like springing up, waking out of bed, like just dancing straight away. Like it doesn't work like that. Um, for for a majority of people, it doesn't work like that, and it's a little bit it's a little bit annoying because you now see the sunny weather and you now see the bright um, the bright mornings. You know, I just wish it was like this all year round. So do I. Hence why I would love to go and live in a sunny country at some point. So sleep, obviously, we were talking about wake times and bedtimes. They're obviously really important. So I wanted to cite a little study. So bear with me on this one. So in the study, subjects were put into a calorie deficit. So this is essentially in relation to sleep and fat loss. So if you're wanting to have a more efficient, effective fat loss phase, then this is something to consider. So participants spent two 14-day periods in a laboratory with scheduled time in bed of either 8.5 hours or 5.5 hours. So this was a very controlled, um, what's the word? How the hell can I not remember words today? It was a very controlled um, bit of research. They had DEXA scans, which is essentially just like a very kind of detailed scan of your body fat. So we're not just jumping on the scale to, to find out here. We're doing a full DEXA scan, which is a little bit more accurate than what you would find from like a, like a, just a standard scale, like, you know, those Bluetooth scales. Like this is a bit more upgraded. So they measured muscle mass and body fat before and after the experimental period. So remember, there was one group doing 8.5 hours of sleep each night and there was one group doing 5.5 hours of sleep per night. So basically what they found was insufficient sleep undermines dietary efforts to reduce adiposity, which essentially just means fat loss. Um, it reduces efforts. It undermines dietary efforts to reduce fat loss. Um, so it's, it's just a stupid word to describe it. So the subjects lost 60% more lean mass and 55% less body fat during the two-week diet while sleeping 5.5 hours per night compared to sleeping 8.5 hours per night. So 60% more lean mass is essentially means they didn't hold on to that muscle mass that they would like to hold on to when they're in that fat loss phase. Because when you're in a fat loss phase, ideally you want to keep all your muscle and lose all your fat. So they didn't maintain much muscle mass and, they'd left, and they lost 55% less body fat during a two-week diet, which is, the numbers there are pretty incredible. Um, and the only difference was three extra hours of sleep. I'm not saying you need to get 8.5 hours of sleep, but if you're in a fat loss phase and you're you're really wanting to make sure everything works efficiently and you are you have quite a happy time of it and it's not an absolute grueler, get more sleep. The subjects, however, weren't weight training and it's unlikely they had high-protein intakes, but the results are are hardly splitting hairs like they're pretty obvious um i think it's just people they want to look at the meal plans they want to look at the amazing dietary kind of approach they want everything to just be bang on in that aspect but if sleep's suffering fat loss is suffering so that's one thing to really really take into consideration another thing that you may want to take into consideration um is the fact that growth hormone essentially like testosterone is very much at its highest when we're sleeping. And again, one other, well, another study that I actually looked at was that growth hormone actually peaks in the onset of deep sleep. Again, this probably 
doesn't mean much, but the numbers won't mean much, but growth, horm growth hormone essentially peaks during around about 1.5 to 3.5 hours of deep sleep. So again, if you're not getting that, that whole good long sleep, like six to eight and a half hours, if you're not getting that, you're actually now reducing the amount of time you're in deep sleep, therefore reducing the amount of time that growth horm hormone is at its highest during your sleep. So growth, growth hormone is going to help you maintain muscle mass, build muscle mass, recover, all these good things, and just essentially just recover from many aspects. Um, so again, if you needed a reason to have more sleep, there's another one. So second thing that you can implement tomorrow, and I would actually say these first two are the most important ones. Um, so just to keep it really simple, drink 500 milliliters as soon as you wake up. If you look at your pee and it's yellow, this is just a simple rule. If your pee is yellow at any time, please drink some water. Like that is just the most basic takeaway you can take from this section. It's also going to help with like general, like overall fullness and digestion. It is essentially just going to get you, it's just going to get you going for the day, but we're going to go into a little bit more detail about that. So there is a reason that we would want to drink water first thing. Um, and there's also a reason as to why we would want to drink water first thing before we drink our coffee. Now, how many times have you woken up in the morning, not even thought about a glass of water and just went straight for the coffee? Pretty much the majority of us, I'd, I'd almost guarantee, and I used to do this as well. There's a lot of really good reasons why you should go for water first. So again, I don't know if anyone's heard of Andrew Huberman, but does a lot of kind of research into this kind of stuff. I've listened to his podcast, and this is where I kind of taken a little bit of this information from. So one reason why you should be drinking water first before coffee, and you should actually be now waiting around about 90 to 120 minutes after you have that drink of water to have your first coffee. Very hard to do. I know everyone likes having a coffee before they leave, but hear me out. So a factor to take into account is adenosine. There's some big words here for me today, and I'm really struggling. Um, adenosine. Um, and just imagine adenosine as the sleepiness factor. So adenosine is the thing that kind of just makes us feel, it makes us feel a little bit sleepy in the morning. And it kind of, it kind of disappears as you wake up and as you continue to go on with your day. Now you might think, well, yeah, okay, let's drink coffee and get fucking rid of that. But however, that's not really a good thing to do. So adenosine is, it's, it's pretty it's pretty low in the morning, um, but caffeine is a blocker of adenosine. So caffeine actually blocks that sleepiness factor, hence why you'll feel a little bit perked up after you have that coffee. However, actually blocking this feeling is, is not good because basically what it does is it knocks that feeling further down the road. So when we think about having that, like I talked about earlier, that late afternoon crash, this is when caffeine wears off and this is where adenosine spikes because adenosine has been basically kicked out in the morning. It's waiting until that caffeine disappears to step back in. Now, this is why a lot of people feel the need for like an afternoon nap. I try and make the relation between this. Like if you are someone that drinks coffee first thing in the morning, no water, and you constantly need an afternoon nap, this could be a factor that comes into play. It might not be, but it could be. So what you basically need to think about is, can I let this adenosine naturally take its course in the morning and naturally wake up without being caffeinated off my tits? 
it's something to definitely consider because if you want to avoid that late afternoon crash and you want to avoid feeling like you want to go to sleep at about 3 p.m., allow yourself to create a stable relationship with adenosine. Now, it doesn't matter if you know what adenosine is or not. Just imagine it as the sleepiness factor. The feeling you have when you wake up in the morning, your eyes are a little bit heavy, you're like, oh, I need to go and I need to get a coffee. Can you now resist against that for 90 to 120 minutes, if not a little bit more? Then have that coffee. And basically allows you to kind of create that relationship with adenosine, naturally wake up, kind of let that run its course so that you then don't have that crash later on in the afternoon. Second factor about why you should not be drinking coffee first thing in the morning. So your body is dehydrated after fasting all night. So you fast all night. You can't imagine you wake up in the middle of the night and have a, a toaster or anything like that. You Maybe you do. Um, a lot of the time people don't wake up in the middle of the night and have a glass of water. So you're going to be dehydrated. You're going to wake up in the morning. You're going to, have to be fasted. You're going to be dehydrated. You're probably going to be hungry. If the first thing that you drink is a coffee, then you don't have a massive issue, but you've possibly got a little issue. Coffee is a diuretic. That means it essentially stimulates the kidneys to excrete more sodium into the urine. When diuretics flush away sodium, the body also flushes away water. So you're dehydrating yourself even more. So, yeah, so you're dehydrating yourself even more with an extra coffee because you're essentially just, you're, you're flushing away water. Um, so... Again, just another reason as to why you really shouldn't be drinking coffee first thing in the morning. And again, another one is like coffee is it's quite acidic and it contains compounds which actually irritate the stomach lining. Hence why if you've ever had a coffee on an empty stomach, you feel like you're going to shit yourself. A lot of people feel like this. Um, and it's made worse when you drink coffee on an empty stomach. Your body has a limited ability to actually make, it has a limited ability to, to actually like protect not protect your stomach, but avoid this feeling of just generally like not beating around the bush, feeling like you're going to shit yourself. So try not to scull a coffee first thing in the morning. Drink some water first thing. If you're going to drink a coffee straight after the water, that's better than drinking the coffee first thing. If you can, wait 90 to 120 minutes, if not a little bit longer to actually drink that first coffee as well. So if you're someone listening to this that's drinking a coffee first thing in the morning, that is an easy change to make to, literally tomorrow morning. It's not hard. 500 milliliters of water will do it. So third little tip is to get daylight first thing. Now, I kind of spoke about this earlier in regards to the circadian rhythm. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, very simple. It's literally just, can you give yourself, especially just now, kind of spoke about already the, the better weather and the brighter mornings, can you give yourself a little bit of an extra 10 minutes in the morning to be able to go out for a walk? Really good kind of combination of the last three kind of tips is drink a glass of water, go out for your 10 minute walk, then come back and possibly get your coffee unless you're being properly optimal and waiting that amount of time. Um, especially for people that are away to go and sit indoors all day. Like if you are constantly, if you go from home into your car, into the office, back from the office, into the house, and you, you could potentially see very little sunlight. Now, it's going to result in a lack of vitamin D. Now, again, you can supplement vitamin D, but getting it straight from the source, straight from the sun, is actually going to be the best place to get it. Um, so again, something to implement is just a 10-minute walk. You'll tap into that natural body clock. 
you'll feel more awake, you'll release serotonin, you'll get that bit of fresh air. You also might be able to just go and walk the dog. Um, it's so easy, but so simple. And it, you feel like you're getting nothing from it because it's literally a 10 minute walk. You're like, what am I actually getting from this? Like I could be in work earlier or I could be sitting down watching the TV, having breakfast. This will be massively beneficial. Um, and I guarantee if we all lived in Spain, we would quite easily do this. It's just hard to do here sometimes because it's cold and it's not always hot. If you are listening from Scotland, that is, I know there's um, nine listeners from Jamaica last month. Honestly, if you please, if you are from Jamaica, please drop me a message if you're listening to this. I don't believe, I actually don't believe it. Um, I just cannot imagine a man in Kingston town tuning into the RLS podcast, but um, might be well wrong, might be well wrong. Um, so again, like if any of you have ever heard of vitamin D supplement, this is obviously where another source of being able to get vitamin D most of these supplements have around about 1,000 IU to 3,000 IU in terms of the units within a capsule. Um, but consider this, for a white male, female, half an hour in the sun, like if you're in a full bathing suit, so you have a bathing suit or shorts, and you've got most of your skin exposed, that's going to actually release around about 50,000 IU, which is a ridiculous amount. This is not to say go and eat like 50,000 IU um, worth of vitamin D. I don't think you'll feel very good after it. Um, but can you get out shorts and a t-shirt? You're going to more skin that's exposed, the more vitamin D you're going to be bringing. I'm not saying to go and run down the street scud naked because Ryan told you to get some more vitamin D. That's not the idea. But can you go out, get some vitamin D into your skin? You will feel better for it. So number four, this is something I've been kind of thinking about a lot lately because my screen time is absolutely horrendous and it's getting a little bit out of hand and it's this quick quick hits of dopamine oh the dog started barking here we go it's this quick hits of dopamine and it's this addiction to social media um what have we got now we've got tiktok we've got reels we've got instagram we've got facebook we've got whatsapp we've, i think i said twitter already we've got all these available to us and there's just there's so much that we can be taking on, on a daily basis like how how fried does your brain feel after half an hour on TikTok? You just feel like there's like a monkey jumping about in your head with symbols. And you just like how many people now do you like speak to? And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this. It's quite funny. But they're just like ref, referring or referencing TikToks to you. And you, I sometimes I just like I obviously know some of them, but sometimes I'm like, what the fuck you have? Like I genuinely it just goes over my head and I'm just like I did not understand what you were saying there. But I'm not that switched off to the world. Like I do understand a lot of them, but it's just getting so addictive and what these companies are now doing, and you'll notice this on Instagram just now, reels are becoming so much more um, prevalent. There's so many more reels coming up on your um, your Instagram page. Like I've started doing more reels because they are getting more clicks. Uh, the algorithm is liking them a lot more now. And it's because it taps into people's short-term attention span. Like on TikTok, you'll watch like three seconds and then swipe, three seconds, swipe, two seconds, swipe. Like it takes something to really grab you to watch for the full kind of however long it is, 30 seconds. Um, and again, WhatsApp, like I spend a shitload of time on WhatsApp. Like my screen time, I'm not even joking. Like yesterday, I'd spent so much time on my phone, like some work, majority of work, but a lot of it was kind of like pissing about as well. My thumb was actually sore. Like the bone at the bottom of my thumb was sore from tapping my phone so much. That is when you know. Um, but again, that's not what I came to speak about. What I basically came to speak about was the 
the problem with social media and it's the fact that it has this reinforcing nature using using it activates the brain's reward system by releasing dopamine so it's like the feel-good chemical that i've kind of spoke about before it's linked to pleasurable activities such as like sex food social interaction and these platforms are actually designed to be addictive they're designed for you to want to go back on constantly and this is the reason that you do go back on constantly and but there's so many kind of problems linked to like anxiety depression um and it's just it's getting a little bit too much and the more we use these methods for for our dopamine hits for our pleasure for our pleasure like the more we rely on tiktok twitter instagram for our pleasure um the more that we the more that we actually fall down even further every time we use it so like when you have a dopamine hit too high like say for example you've just had like the best meal ever like after or again you could you could also paint it in the picture of like the best sex ever there's always a dip after it you're like what can actually be better than that it's the same my voice just went what can actually be better than that and it happens with tiktok and again think about it this way it's like a it's like taking cocaine so imagine taking cocaine <laughs> you go very very high and then you drop way below baseline and there's that there's that kind of depressive kind of kind of feeling afterwards you feel down you feel like nothing can ever compare to that feeling again hence why people get addicted it's the same with tiktok just on a different scale people think they watch a tiktok they're thinking it funny and then they have that dip afterwards hence why they scroll really quickly to go and watch another one because they're like i need another dopamine hit i need to watch something else funny i need to tap into that that pleasure that i've not been getting so the main thing to think about when you're when you're trying to reduce this is obviously it's easy for me to say oh, like put screen time limits on your phone or it's delete tiktok or it's have a social media detox it's delete instagram it's these things do help and turning notifications off or or is a good idea but it also comes down to finding these these finding this pleasure from different places and thinking less about the short term quick fix of dopamine and thinking about the long-term fix like what can i do for myself that's actually going to give me happiness and success long term rather than just like constantly scrolling every single night and looking for pleasure from from tiktok and instagram sticking up photos of myself fully edited and oh, fuck, i need people to like this or else i'm not going to get my dopamine hit you'll have known the feeling and i know this feeling from when i was a little bit younger you pro it's probably still there as well to a certain extent if i put an instagram photo up and I leave my phone sitting and I see like light coming through, light coming through, light coming through. Every time that light comes through, there's just that, you'll know this feeling. There's that short, little sharp feeling of happiness, a little a little bit of pleasure. Oh, someone's like my phone. That's good. That gives me a little feedback on people actually like me and people accept me. Um, it gives you that little bit of feedback, but we really need to be careful about being reliant on that because it is a dangerous game to play because the moment that you get two likes on your phone, does that then make you less of a person does that make you unhappy and for some people it does some people would delete photos and i've done it in the past as well i'm not going to try and take the high horse here people will delete photos because it gets no likes you're like well, what the fuck's wrong with me like they attach that to themselves but again that's going down a different rabbit hole so my main things to do would be it's easy for me to just say reduce quick hits of dopamine but see if you can set screen time limits see if you can delete one of the four one of the five just for a while and see how you get on I certainly think TikTok's the main culprit. If you can delete that, you'll you'll gain some brain cells back. So number five. So this is something that I really believe in, but at the same time, it can actually be quite 
not dangerous, but you've got to kind of think about both sides of this. So number five is pencil in you time. So pencil in time for yourself. And what I mean by that is do something you want to do on your own. Be with yourself. Be in your own mind. Be in your own head. Now, I know you'll be thinking, right, Ryan, is this not like a damaging thing? Is this not something that's pretty bad? But I fully believe that you should be doing both things. Yes, you should spend time with people, with family, with friends, with with girlfriends, with boyfriends, but you should also get good at being on your own because if if we kind of are reliant on other people for our happiness and we're reliant on other people to make decisions for us and we're reliant on constantly being part of a group of people, when you are on your own, it gets pretty fucking lonely and it ends up getting pretty fucking difficult. And it's a good thing to do, like to be able to, I'm not saying that you have to be able to do this to be a happy person, but to be able to go away. And like, I used to do mad shit on loan. Like I used to go climb up hills. I, as you know, from the last podcast, I went to Magaluf on loan, which was an experience that that was probably on the more unhealthy side of the things, but being able to go for a walk, being able to go to the cinema on your own. You will look like a psycho, but honestly, like things like this are fine. Just being able to be in your own company, sitting at home, reading a book, watching Netflix, go for a walk, being able to be on your own is actually something that's really powerful. And I just I was definitely like this. And I learned how to do this really well during lockdown. Like it came to a point where it was like I needed to spend time around other people, but being able to literally be on your own and not need someone else's approval, not need someone else to kick you up the arse to do something and being able to challenge yourself. If you're able to fully challenge yourself while you're on your own and fully back yourself to do things while you're on your own without anyone else telling you should do should be doing it, it's actually a really good place to be in. Um, and it's, it's also more about doing what makes you happy. And if someone... Is someone else is trying to stop you do something? Do something. If someone else is trying to stop you doing something that you want to do, then just go and fucking do it on your own. I honestly, honestly would recommend doing it. It helps you lead a life not having to get validation from social groups to do things. Just do it because you want to do it. Do it on your own. Go out for a meal. Go out for go out to the cinema. Go climb a hill. Whatever the fuck it is, go and do it on your own if you really want to. But on the same turn, do it with friends because being with people is obviously helpful being with good people is really helpful so um i mean one exception to this would maybe be like go out to a nightclub and go out to a boozer on your own like you probably want to do that with someone and um, i must admit when i walked into bananas nightclub in magaluf on loan i did look like an absolute richard um so yeah probably wouldn't recommend doing that so number six um volume eating so this is something, especially if you're on a fat loss phase, you don't necessarily understand what volume eating is. It's going to be a massive, massive tool to stay within your calorie deficit. And it is going to keep you sane. And it's also going to keep you from, from it's going to keep, it's going to allow you to eat some pretty good stuff. Um, so let me explain what I mean by volume eating. So volume eating is when you select foods that are probably pretty low in calories, but you get a hell of a lot of volume content of food for that amount of calories. So a couple of examples of this kind of stuff was like cucumber, celery, spinach. Um, even I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, like salsa has actually got like very little calories and get loads of it as well. Um, it's something to think about. So again, the way that I would kind of approach it would be like, say for example, just to paint some more examples, like for breakfast, I could have a bowl of oats with, say a scoop of protein, some peanut butter in it. Um, 
say for example, I had 50 grams of oats, one scoop of peanut butter, um, and whatever I was using to mix it. That would be a fine meal, pretty substantial. However, if I wanted to volumize that meal and I wanted to make it a lot bigger and I wanted to make it a lot more filling, but avoid adding loads of calories, what I could do would be was frozen blueberries or just standard blueberries, raspberries, whatever that may be. Like blueberries and raspberries, very little calories in them for the amount that you can get. You can go and chuck 100 grams in there if you wanted. And that's going to almost like add a third to the bowl in terms of the size of that actual bowl, in terms of the volume of food that you're actually putting inside your stomach. That in itself, again, these things have fiber in them, which again is another point, going to keep you much fuller for much longer. Stepping into lunch, you would probably think about adding a salad. So if I was having chicken and pasta, that would maybe fill me up. But what I would do to add volume to that was just get a, like a big, massive side salad. Now, see when I'm dieting and see when I'm on a fat loss phase, I almost take the piss with this, like a massive bowl of, say, for example, cucumber, tomatoes, peppers. Again, very, very little calories for a lot of volume. And again, just imagine, like, just imagine that inside your stomach, like, you're not going to be wanting to eat more chicken and pasta because you've filled your stomach up so much with that. And then again, talking about dinner, you could just add veg, asparagus, like 10 spears of asparagus. You're probably not even talking over 60 calories, but think about how, excuse me, think about how many calories and um, think about how much volume we get out of that 10 spears of asparagus. So if you are in a fat loss phase and you are not volume eating, you are missing out. You're going to be, instead of like a, an eight or a nine out of 10 in terms of fullness over the day, you're going to probably going to be a five or a six. So implement this. If you're on a fat loss phase right now, I would strongly recommend it. Um, so something that I've maybe got like a little bit of a bias towards, and it's not necessarily like an implementable thing. It's perhaps just something to think about if you wanted to. And I spoke about this within my group yesterday, and it's like a hybrid version of training. Now, as I said, bias towards the way that I like to train. Um, I think it is obviously coming into summer um, there's a lot more kind of there's a lot more available energy like you've just got a lot more to give right now you're not so kind of tempted to go and sit on your arse at night you maybe want to go out for a walk go out for a run go out on your bike because it is brighter pardon so what you could basically do is like why don't you consider a hybrid style of training like you may be going to the gym like three nights a week and that might be it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Kudos to you for being able to go to the gym three times a week to be able to nail that. But something I really enjoy doing is actually just having multiple disciplines of training. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to do three gym sessions and three bike rides. I mean, you can if you want, but it means can you now balance out your gym training with another style of training? And again, it solely comes down to what your goals are. But if your goals are fat loss and your goals are just like general health and general kind of fitness, then this is something I would really recommend. So the way that I approach mine is I'm obviously playing football, going to the gym and swimming. And for me, that's perfect. Like I, I love doing that. It fits in with my week. Other ways that you could do it, you could do like the run swim cycle, like the triathlon style training. You could do strength training and you could do physique training alongside each other. Obviously that's all taking part in the gym, but it takes away the focus from constantly being on the physique and constantly thinking the way that, we, the way that your body looks. Another really good approach that some of my clients take is swim and resistance training. So being in the gym, but also swimming at the same time. Really good thing about that is swimming's very low impact, very kind of low fatigue. And well, I mean, you'll be fatigued, but it's not quite as high as what would be like if you went and pounded the pavements with a run. Um, therefore, you can recover quite nicely from both of them. Um, or again, you could be running and going to the gym. You could be running that. You could be taking it on as that kind of hybrid. You could you can kind of do it whatever way you want. But I honestly think it's a really good thing to do. 
as I said, especially with brighter nights, like you're going to be more inclined to want to go out for a run at night. You're going to be more inclined to jump on the bike. You're going to be more inclined to potentially just enjoy something different. And it just takes away the focus from constantly being in the gym because it can get a little bit draining, like being in the gym all year round, three to four sessions a week. Sometimes it's good to just mix it up and try something different. And as I said, it can just be like multiple disciplines within the gym. Like you could add some conditioning work to your resistance training. Like you could go and do a couple of circuits. You could go and do a couple of classes alongside your resistance training. You do not have to be like a one trick pony. You can actually include a couple of different things in there, which I believe is actually really helpful. Something, well, the last three. So these are quite quick fire. So prepare yourself a stupid amount. You probably have heard me speak about this before. It's if you have a busy day tomorrow, or even if you don't have a busy day, something to do is just be stupidly prepared in advance. Set stuff out the night before so that you're well prepared. So this might look something like this. So I'm going to the gym in the morning, therefore at night, I'm going to make sure that I set out my gym trainers. I'm going to make sure that I set out my top, my shorts. I'm going to set out um, a bottle of water. I'm going to chuck it in the fridge. I'm going to set out the vitamins that I need to eat in the morning, eat, swallow, whatever you want to call that. Um, I'm going to also going to like prepare overnight oats. I'm going to prepare my breakfast. So all you literally need to do, peel yourself out of bed, go in the shower, walk through, everything is set and ready for you. You now don't really have a choice in the matter. You've made it, you've almost made it so stupid for you to now go against that. So this is, again, out of James, um, James Clear's Atomic Habits, which you'll hear me reference quite a lot. And I've probably spoke about this various times before, but it almost makes it too stupid for you to not do that habit. So if you have the breakfast set out there, if you have the trainer set out there, if you have the top and the shorts set out there, you're going to feel a little bit stupid going and turning around and going to McDonald's for a sausage egg McMuffin and going back to your bed. Like that's going to make you feel a little bit stupid for doing that. So make it obvious, make it clear, plain and simple and just be prepared. Like how, how much time are you actually going to save? Five, six, seven, eight, ten, ten 10 minutes you may be safe in the morning, but like how stressful is it when you're like hunting for something? Say, for example, oh, the, the dog stole your trainer, as, as mine's is doing just now. He seems to be carrying them about everywhere. Um, luckily enough, not chewing them, just carrying them. Um, however, I wouldn't like to give him another extra 10 minutes with them. So, yeah, how hard is it when you're, like, you're looking around, can't find my trainer, fuck, I can't find my keys, fuck, what will I have for breakfast? I'll just get a rabbit cereal bar and get a coffee and, and then that'll be you out the door, dehydrated and feeling a little bit kind of like stressed. So honestly, I recommend doing this tonight. So if whatever it is that you need to do tomorrow, even if it's just like planning what you need to do in a little book for the office tomorrow, or it's planning what you're going to do in terms of training, setting out your gym clothes. Like if you're going to train after work, make sure you pack a bag, which got your gym clothes and trainers and stuff like that. In it. So make it stupidly obvious that you have to do it. Even if you know you're going to wake up, you're going to, rush about you're going to go to work and then you're going to come home have the gym clothes set out so you're like oh, fuck, i need to go to the gym now i need to go to the gym after work again stupidly obvious something else to do is again in regards to goal setting is this is more for the week this is not necessarily like something to implement tomorrow this is more so for a week can you now set not a specific goal so not ten thousand steps not two thousand calories not four gym sessions can you set minimum and maximum targets so what that's going to look like is so again same examples you could set i'm going to make sure this week i hit anywhere between minimum eight thousand steps maximum ten thousand steps that's going to be but again you could maybe make your maximum a little bit higher than just two thousand more and if you go over the maximum yeah okay 
not really a problem with steps, obviously. Minimum and maximum. So you do not feel pressure to hit that specific nailed on number because you can get a little bit, what's the word? You can get a little bit um, a little bit angry when you don't then hit that specific 10,000 steps. And so many of us are attached to that number, that 10,000 steps. Can we set a minimum and maximum? That gives a little more leeway, a little more leeway for if we have a shit day and we have a stressful day and we might feel that that 10,000 is an absolute push. Same with calories. Can we hit between, say, for example, 2,000 and 2,200? So if you have a day where you're a little bit more hungry or you're maybe in a certain stage of your cycle or you've had a stressful day at work or you've done a little bit of extra training, you've got that extra little bit to play with. Same with a protein target if you have one, um, minimum, maximum. And same with gym sessions like this week. I would really love to get five gym sessions done, but if I get three gym sessions done, I get pass marks. Anywhere below the minimum is a real kind of, could be a failure, could be classed as right, I need to actually do better here. So minimum and maximum targets, write yours down, set them out, what do they look like? Again, you could think about steps, you could think about protein, you could think about calories, you could think about gym sessions, you could think about how many times you stretch, you could think about how many times you journal, you could think about how many times you read a book or listen to a podcast. Um, it just depends what you're, what are your metrics? Your metrics might look completely different. Again, it could be in relation to business, like how many calls do I need to have this week or how many clients do I need to speak to? It just, just depends what your kind of scenario is. And that you might not relate to any of those steps, calories, protein, whatever things. You might relate to um, something completely different. Um, and the last one is, it's quite an overview. It's not necessarily like a specific thing, but it's number 10. It's sit down and think, can I actually sustain this? unless you're actually comfortable with knowing that what you're doing is is finite like it's there has there's going to be a specific end to this for example if you're going through an aggressive fat loss phase like yeah you don't need to sustain that forever but you need to understand that yeah this has an end i can't sustain this constantly and again it could be in relation to just the way that you're living just now like can i actually sustain this over a long period of time or am i going to crash and burn at some point um i think it's so kind of relevant in, in terms of like, in terms of fat loss, in terms of perhaps the lifestyle that you're living right now, if it's going a little bit too far, like, can you actually sustain this right now? Like, will you be happy in three to five years living the way that you are right now? And again, it could be in relation to in three to five years, will I still be able to train like this? Will I still be able to eat like this? If you're in a, an aggressive calorie deficit, if you're training like a fucking madman, overtraining every single week, can you actually sustain this? Does this look like a long-term approach for you? Or is this just something that's going to be for a period of time? And if it is something that's just going to be for a short period of time, what happens after? Because if you don't know what happens after, what can essentially result is you actually get a little bit, you're a bit unhappy, you're a bit like, what now? you didn't have that plan and you didn't have that sustainable approach i think with the guys that i work with the th main thing that i try to do is if we're doing something that's not sustainable and we're doing something that's a little bit aggressive it's a little bit fast-tracked i'll always paint a picture for these guys as to what's happening after like what are we going to do to reverse you out of this aggressive phase what are we going to do to help you sustain this shape this fitness this this feeling this energy long term and again my approach is typically like it is a sustainable one from the start but i want you to basically just sit back have a think right now can i sustain the way that i'm living can i sustain the way that i'm eating can i sustain the way that i'm training over a very long period of time if you can't you either need to have an exit strategy you need to have a reverse out of that as to where you're going to go and you're going to be able to hit a period of maintenance um, because maintenance is very it's very 
underrated. Like we always want to be gaining or we always want to be losing. We never, we're never just happy maintaining. Like that happy maintenance is a really good place to be because it allows us to be happy. It allows us to not have to push incredibly hard with whatever it is that you need to push with in your life. So guys, hopefully there was something to take away from that. And I'm just going to go through all of them again in terms of one to 10. So wake and sleep times. Then we had water first thing and also avoiding coffee as first thing. Then we had get daylight first thing. Then we had reduce quick hits of dopamine. Then we had pencil and you time. Then we had volume eating. Then we had hybrid training. Then we had prepare yourself a stupid amount. Set goals, minimum and maximum. And sit down and think, can I sustain it? So hopefully there was at least one or three things in there that you think you can actually implement tomorrow. Um, I want you to actually pick one to three things out of that and drop me a message and let me know what what you picked like what are the one to three things that you're going to pick now to implement and if you can give that a little share on your story it would be massively appreciated um tag me on instagram tag me on whatever it is that you're going to post it on um so yeah guys hopefully that was hopefully that was helpful there's a few little stars at the start with some big words it's a little bit early on thursday morning to to be thinking about big words like uh, adenosine and um, i know it's not that big of a word but um yeah struggling but never mind guys um hopefully that was enjoyable i'll catch you all later